Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And in this segment, we're going to speak to you as parents or perhaps as grandparents. But those of you who don't have any offspring, stay tuned. Every one of us, as an adult, at some point will make contact with children or adolescents and will have an opportunity through our behavior and interaction with them to help build up or tear down a young person's self-image. And now that autumn is upon us, most of our kids are already back in school, and I trust it was a restful yet adventuresome summer for all and that every family member, parent and child, is ready and eager to get back into the swing of fall. But our topic today is how to raise emotionally healthy kids, whether you have one, three, or ten or more, without driving yourself crazy. And whatever your son or daughter's age today, here's one fact to remember. News alert, your children are not small adults. Rarely, if ever, do children and teenagers think or act like mature adults. As my guest, Paul Barnaby, uh, points out they're not supposed to. <laughs> and he's here today uh, with some ideas on how to help your kids become happy, responsible, emotionally healthy as they mature into young adults. And his goal is to provide us to become top 20 parents. And, in fact, he's co-authored a book on that very subject. And here, uh, here's Paul Barnaby's bio. He's co-owner, co-founder, director, and Senior Facilitator of Top 20 Training, a St. Paul, Minnesota firm that provides guidance and tools for students, teachers, businesses, and government entities in dealing effectively with everyday situations and problems. And prior to that, for 35 years, Paul was a teacher, counselor, administrator, and coach in the state of Minnesota, and he directs Share a Life program that supports pregnant women in crisis. He's acclaimed author of Top 20 Parents, Raising Happy, Responsible, and Emotionally Happy Children, and four other books on human development. And hello, Paul Burnaby, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Roy, thanks so much for the opportunity to visit with you and your, uh, and your audience today. Let me just say a word because you've used the phrase top 20 several times in your introduction. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, what we really mean when we use the phrase top 20 is that we're being effective and yeah. essentially being effective in how we think, learn, or communicate. So yeah, and you're, you're not top, comparing the top 20 with the bottom 80 and putting them into classes, right? We're, we all have top 20 and bottom 80 characteristics within ourselves, and we're striving it, to bring out those. Top 20. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm the director of this program, and there are times when I'm a bottom 80. And we just mean by that that my thinking's not being effective or my communication's not being effective. So, yes, yeah. we're both of those. The point, though, is to just know when we're being one or being the other. So that, I just wanted to kind of 
tee that up. That's so true. If we don't know ourselves, we don't, and uh, we're not really going to be able to fix ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, let's begin with a question of the season. What can we and should we do as parents to make sure that our kids get back into the discipline of school, homework, study habits, and test preparation after a summer where most of the time they could do as they please, unless maybe they had jobs, but they still had a lot of free time? Yeah, and you know, I'd like to just kind of introduce to just the notion of parent, because um, when I think of parent, that word for me means influence. That's yeah. what parents do. They yeah. influence. And and this whole role of parent has really dramatically shifted, um, since, certainly since I was a kid. I mean, yeah. when, I, when I think of my mom and dad, they were, they were excellent parents who seldom had to parent because huh. everything that was part of the culture when I was growing up really reinforced their values. So all the influences in my life were similar to my, my parents' influence. Yeah. That has really that has really shifted. It, as, as I wa- we, we have my wife and I have four daughters and fourteen grandkids, and as I watch my daughters parent today, there's all kinds of other influencers in the in the lives of their kids or my grandkids. And Not so, to mention social media and the internet. <laughs> oh, exactly. Those are those are powerful influences. And and those influences are not always in alignment with the influence that my that that, that parents today want you know want to have. So yeah. it makes parenting much more difficult. And and I think on on almost every level, whether it's getting back into school, as, as your question was asking, um, yeah. why don't we just keep playing? I mean, I, kids can have that mentality. But I think for the most part, how do we prepare kids for what, whatever they're going to do? I, I think the most important thing is parents need to do lots of things, but two things that I think are really critical. Number one is unconditional love. If, oh, a, yes. if a kid is, 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 is in a relationship with a mom or dad or, or parents or even grandparents, I'm a grandparent, yeah. where they know they are unconditionally loved, that makes a huge difference yeah, in everything. You have everything. to make sure even, they know it, even if you do unconditionally love your uh, offspring, if you don't tell and uh, demonstrate it, it's not going to do much good. Exactly, exactly. And then the other thing is, I think we have to help kids learn how to make decisions. Um, you had indicated uh, uh, the whole notion of choice. That the, the kids, kids have choices. How do yeah. we help them use that power of making choices so that they're beneficial? So to, to teach kids um, the options that they have or help them become aware of the options they have, help them become aware of the consequences they have. And then I think the other main thing rel- relative to any kid's choices is the phrase air traffic controller. I just got back last night from, from Dallas, Texas. Oh. And, and as you know, when you fly, there are people who are not in the airplane who are helping direct that airplane. They're called yeah. air traffic controllers. Yeah. So, so kids need air traffic controllers in their life. Parents, teachers, coaches, um, who who know things that the that the, that the kids don't know, and help them in making choices by sharing the things that that a ten year old kid might not be aware of, or a fifteen year old kid might not be aware of. Yeah. So, whenever kids are making choices, they they need to know about their their options. They need to know the consequences of those options, and then they have to be able to talk to somebody. 
who's going to see something that they probably don't see at their age. I think we have to do the same thing. I mean, I'm 72 years old, and when I have to make an important decision, I've got some air traffic controllers to go to and, hey, what do you think about this? So I think those are all important in any choices that the that, that kids are going to make. I see. Yeah, that's a, Well, uh, if you were a, a parent star and your kid was starting school, uh, how, how uh, strict should the parent be in terms of uh, policing their child in terms of homework? Should they set a specific time uh-huh. where there's no TV, no this or that? Or should you really leave it up to your son or daughter and, uh, and, and so long as their grades are, are adequate or better, uh, you know, you sort of leave it to them? How do you, how do you suggest? Well, of course, that's going to depend on, on each individual kid and how, mu- how mature they are and how responsible they are. Yeah. But I think generally I would want to lead towards that child making the decision and then assessing it. If, yeah. if that choice is working then let's stay with it. If that choice is not working, then it's time to, again, guide that child in a direction that's, that's going to be a little bit more effective. Let me say this about homework, though. Yeah. What I want kids to know, and what I would want parents to know, is that homework is not about getting something done. A huh. lot of kids are doing homework to get it done. All right? The purpose of homework is to learn something. Yeah. So I would ask... I would ask parents who are listening to your show to never ask their kids, are you done with your homework? That's an irrelevant question. And and they will know it's irrelevant because when those parents were in school, they often got their homework done but didn't learn anything from it because we were just trained to get it done. So the question parents should ask about homework is not, are you done with it, but what did you learn from it? Because (laughs) we want school to be... Yeah, we want school to be places where kids learn, not where they just check off boxes because they got done with it. So have parents keep that in mind. Well, should a parent reward their son or daughter for good grades or or take privileges away for poor grades? How about the the old uh, grounding trick? Does that work or is that that a good idea? And uh, no use of the car this weekend or you're not uh, going out for such and such uh, time because your grades are low or whatever. how do we handle that? Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about the difference between internal motivation and external motivation. Yeah. And there, there certainly is a time, Roy, when teachers or parents use external motivation, you know, reward or punishment. Yeah. But we use that way too much. So I would say, again, at the beginning, I want kids, when they do their homework, to, to feel the joy of learning. There, yeah. there should be nothing, n- nothing paid. Kids shouldn't get money because they get a good grade. Kids shouldn't get money because they've they've done a responsibility. Just to experience the the joy of learning something or the joy of developing a skill or accomplishing something. There's there's just joy in in that. Now, if kids are really moving in the wrong direction, there might be the the necessity of a a more serious consequence, a punishment. You 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 can't use the car. you, You can't use... Use use the phone to call your friends until you get your homework done, yeah. but but I think that's after a problem has been identified. But we go to the external motivation way too readily because that's how we were raised as well. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that makes long term life lifelong learners or yeah. lifelong responsible people. It makes people who do things as, as long as somebody's holding them accountable, but that's not that's not a healthy responsible person. 
Yeah, I know. In your promotion, you suggest as parents guiding our youth to become adults, let's first make them happy, responsible, and emotionally healthy. The truth is we can't make our kids or anyone else be happy and responsible. Can you give us some suggestions on how we can encourage our offspring to be healthy, happy, and responsible? I know we can't make them do it. (laughs) Well, let's take a look at, in light of your question, Kids are developing all the time. I mean, that, that's going to happen. They're developing yeah. in one way or another. Right? When we talk about emotionally healthy, they're developing habits that are healthy. So, because yeah. I do a lot of work in schools, let's just take the let's just take the concept of curiosity yeah. versus bore, versus boredom. Yeah. Now, if if you have a kid, in, in the next five months, that kid's going to be bored. Right? That, that's a normal thing. Yeah. But what we don't want to have happen is that that child is bored day after day after day. That's when it becomes a habit, right? Yeah. Or, or let's take frustration. Kids are going to try to do something, and it's going to be hard. They're going to experience frustration. That's a normal thing. We we experience the same thing as adults. Yeah, but, we all have to uh, experience some frustration, or we're really never going to develop in life or, or get anywhere. Exactly. Life isn't a constant yellow brick road. <laughs> Correct. So does does the frustration lead a kid to quitting early, or does the frustration lead a kid to continually trying? Now, those are two very different things. If a kid keeps trying, that's a healthy habit. If a kid quits as soon as something gets hard, that's an unhealthy habit. So, So we want to pay attention to what are the habits, what are the mental habits that kids are developing, Uh, boredom, procrastination, or curiosity Uh, are kids complaining all the time or complaining once every you know every couple of months that's a different thing because that's not a habit so i think as parents or grandparents that's what we want to pay attention to what are the habits that these kids are developing yeah that's so true well as you rightfully point out it's extremely difficult to raise happy self-confident and responsible offspring who live up to their full potential if we as parents don't feel good about ourselves are frustrated with our lives and not on track to fulfill our own destiny. Can you offer suggestions on how better to understand what's going on inside of us so that we can uh, help better develop the potential in our children? We can't really do that if we don't understand ourselves. Roy, I I think that is the critical question. Um, We use a concept in our training called above and below the line. Oh. And and this is about becoming aware of our thinking so we know what's going on relative to our thinking. Is it working in our best interest? We call that above the line. Yeah. Or is it not working in our best interest? We call that below the line. And the reason why we need to know that is that sometimes if our thinking's not working, then we won't make an important decision because we don't have what it takes to make that important decision. Yeah. So we, we, we talk about – your question is really about self-awareness. How can we as the adults be more self-aware? So so what are the indicators that would tell me that my thinking is not working? I'll, I'll give you a couple of just personal ones. When I need to be right, when that need to be right bubbles up in me, I know that my thinking is not working really well. Yeah. Or maybe when I'm tired, all right? I'm tired, so I know my thinking is not working real well. So when, when those indicators, that red light goes on and says, Paul, you need to be right, right? You need to be right. That's your indicator that you're below the line. 
Don't make an important decision now. And what I want to do then is trampoline. This is just another one of our concepts. I want to trampoline back above. What can I do to get my thinking working again? So maybe it's taking a nap. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's talking to a friend. Maybe it's just having some quiet time. But we need to know that as adults. What's, what are the indicators that tell me that my thinking's not working, and how can I get myself back above the line? And, and that's so crucial when we're things. dealing with our, our children, when they have a dispute with our children, it's so easy to get emotionally involved and get, as you would put it, below the line, and that they're insulting me as a parent by uh, really it's their desire to uh, express their own independence or follow their own path. It's not really intentional to demean us as parents, but we take it personally, and then the, the argument becomes really unwinnable because we're defending ourselves rather than considering the best interests of our son or daughter. I can see where that would happen also. Absolutely. And, and also at the time, I mean, when do kids and parents discuss uh, curfew? It's at midnight when the kid has come in late, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the parent's been worrying. And the kid knows mom and dad are going to be upset. So when that kid walks into the house, what a parent should say is, uh, son or daughter, let's go to bed, and we'll talk about this in the morning. Yeah, that's because that's where my thinking might be working as opposed to tonight when I've been worried about you. Yeah, Those a, little things can make a big difference. And then if you say, you made me all upset by being late, you're not really expressing the concern for the child as much as you're expressing concern for yourself. That you were exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I cared about you. I was worried about you. I didn't know if you were in an accident or something. He's yeah. expressing concern for the child. Yeah. Well, uh, here's uh, one further question, uh, the, the million-dollar question. How the heck do we as parents keep from going bonkers when our kids think and act like the kids they are and not like the small adults? <laughs> well, I think number one, Roy, is to know that that a child is not a small adult. Their brain, they, they do not have a prefrontal cortex, so they cannot make the kinds of decisions, mature decisions, that, that an adult can make. So that's, that's even one. true of teenagers, I guess, even if they look like adults sometimes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Let, let me give you just kind of a very practical example that uh, I wish I would have known this when I was a young parent. I, I know it now, but I didn't know it when I was a young parent. If, if, if you've got a kid, a little kid, who's jumping on the bed, and you say, don't jump on the bed, the kid keeps jumping on the bed. Because children that age do not understand contractions. Don't. Don't means do not to an adult. But when you say, don't jump on the bed, what the child is actually hearing is, jump on the bed. (laughs) So what we want to say to that kid is, put your feet on the floor, all right? We don't want to use contractions with little, with little children. Right? Oh, just just knowing that can avoid a lot of problems or solve some some problems, so they don't escalate and we don't think this kid is being disobedient. The child in the child's mind, they're actually obeying what the parent is saying. When they say "Don't jump on the bed," the kid keeps jumping on the bed. They think that that child thinks that they're obeying the parent. <laughs> so I think just understanding more, understanding more about ourselves, understanding more about the developmental stage that this child happens to be at is yeah. really helpful in making those decisions well, and not going crazy. Yeah, let's talk for uh, briefly about your uh, popular book, Top 20 Parents. 
Uh, let's begin by defining the term. What characteristics mm-hmm. are present in a top 20 parent that are missing in a bottom 80 parent? Well, I think, you know, as, as we introduce this, I think whenever we are operating as a top 20, we are thinking more effectively. Yeah. A bottom 80 parent is, is, is not thinking effectively. It might not even know that, right? Yeah. Um, a, a top 20 parent would, would stay focused on what's really important. A bottom 80 parent would lose focus on what's really important. So, so there are these distinctions. A top 20 parent is going to communicate more effectively, not, not just emotionally, but more effectively. A bottom 80 parent is going to communicate ineffectively. So there, there are all these ways. Parenting is such a complex, and raising children is such a complex issue. But I, a, a top 20 parent is going to get help. Right? Yeah. Top 20 parents are going to access other people, friends, neighbors, uh, relatives, uh, who can, or, or, the, or, the, or the, the kids' teachers. They're going to get help. I don't have to do this alone. A bottom 80 parent might think, I, I've got to do this all by myself. So I think there's just a lot of ways that we operate more effectively or we operate less effectively. And look, parents are making hundreds and hundreds of decisions every day. They're not all, all going to be right. A top 20 parent looks at mistakes, either their mistakes or their children's mistakes, as a way to learn. Yeah. A bottom 80 parent sees a mistake as something that needs a consequence. Right? Yeah. So there's just a lot of ways that parents are going to operate differently. And I understand that almost every chapter in your book contains a call to action, which I think is great. So it's not just something you sit and read, but you actually do something and, and uh make a practical application. Could you give us an example of, uh, say, a call to action that you might have in one of your chapters? Well, so so the, the, the chapter would have to do with trying to help parents become more aware of something, right? Yeah. More aware of something. The call to action is now that you have this awareness, what do you want to do with it? Yeah. So, for example, since we were talking about above and below the line, that chapter will explain what above the line means, what below the line means, and about... In, indicators and, and, and trampolines. So the call to action would be let's have a conversation in our family with the children and let's talk about what are our indicators. Here's dad's indicators. Here's mom's indicators. Here, what are the kids' indicators that they're thinking is below the line? What are some trampolines? What are some trampolines that we can do to get us back above the line, yeah, either individually great. or as a family? So that's a, that's a call to action. We can actually do those things, and now we're not just aware, but we are all actually doing some things that's helping us as a family be more effective. Well, where's the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book, Top 20 Parents? You know, we've got a lot of things, Roy, on our website, uh, www.top20training.com. Oh, and the 20 is the number two zero. You can learn a lot about Top 20 there. We have other books as well that parents might be interested in, but um, we have a, an, an online store that parents can, can access and, um, and order books, and, and we'll send those out to them. Oh, yeah. It's a, uh, no, it's a fascinating website. And just to uh, learn about your organization and all the services you perform for school districts and uh, training and uh, coaching and all these other things that uh, – services you offer that would definitely be a website that uh, some of our listeners may want to visit that's tra- top two o training dot com yes top two zero training dot com and since you mentioned schools what if parents uh, are at all interested 
we'd love to talk to them about uh, getting into their son or daughter's schools and helping them develop some curriculum in the school, training the faculty and staff so that those things are going on in school as well as at home. Oh, that's great. Well, I think we can all agree to be our best as a parent. Clearly, within the top 20, we need first to understand our own motivation, to understand ourselves, and to have a clear goal in mind for where we'd like our children to be as adults, happy, confident, productive, aware of their own destiny, pursuing their own dreams, and enjoying journey along the way. And as my guest Paul Burnaby points out in his book, Raising Children to Adulthood, it's like, a lot like a long journey at sea, and we begin the journey in calm, tranquil waters, but at times along our 18-year voyage, and that's for each child, we may have more than one, we will encounter strong headwinds and challenging waves at times, and he's given us some great ideas in navigating those waves and remaining always on course to your intended destination and that's happy, productive, mentally healthy, and secure young adults. And I highly recommend you preview Paul Barnaby's book, Top 20 Parents, not only for you, but if you're a grandparent, it would be a great gift for your adult children as they begin their so important journey as parents. And I guess your four daughters are well into that since you have 14 grandchildren. But thanks a million, Paul Barnaby, for joining us here today, and best of success with your top 20 training mission. Thanks so much, Roy. Have a good day. Well, those are inspiring words indeed from my guest, Paul Burnaby. Yes, it is possible to raise your offspring to be mentally healthy, secure, and productive young adults, so long as, as a parent, you have this clear and positive objective in mind throughout the long 18-year journey, even though you face at times strong headwinds and choppy seas, as we know we all will sometime during the growing up process. And it's September, and our children, ages 5 through 18 or thereabouts, are heading back to school. So to close today's program, I'm going to talk a bit about homework. As a parent, uh, how involved and controlling should you be in your son and daughter's homework to make sure that it's completed and correct? And how can you avoid a near nightly battle over when and how it's done? To begin, let me acknowledge that I'm uh, taking a lot of what I'm about to say from an article by Claire Ansbury in the August 26, 2019 Wall Street Journal. And her article is based upon an interview with Dr. John Froyland, a Purdue University educational psychologist and author of the 2012 book, Inspired Childhood. So does frequent parental involvement in homework and grade checking help or hinder your child's grades? Well, for eighth graders, ages around 13 or 14, it has a negative effect, although slight, according to to Dr. Froyland, on composite math, science, and reading standardized achievement test scores. He did research on that. So are you putting too much pressure on your offspring to complete their homework? Well, here are a few of Dr. Froyland's thoughts. First, uh, don't, uh, re don't revert to the controlling style that you used when it's a matter of your child's health or safety or when they were little toddlers or little kids that couldn't really think for themselves. 
Most nights, homework is something your kids don't want to do. After all, they worked hard all day long going to school, and they just want to play, watch TV, or socialize with friends on social media. And if your son or daughter says, I don't feel like doing homework right now, Dr. Froyland suggests you don't respond with, I don't care if you don't feel like doing it. Get in and do your homework right now. That's not the approach he suggests. A better way to respond, ask your child if she or he has any homework. Ask them when they plan to do it. And if they respond, not right now, inquire and discuss possible consequences at school if they don't turn it in tomorrow morning on time. And second, should you as a parent determine the precise time when your child does his or her homework? Did you block out a time after dinner uh, or after school and say no TV until homework gets done? Well, Dr. Froyland encourages autonomy. He suggests you do not create arbitrary deadlines or a false sense of time pressure. Make your uh, make sure your child wants to play or if your child wants to play outdoors on a beautiful day and would rather do the homework after dinner, after dark, exercise and relaxation may help them clear their head, and that might be a good idea. Beware, though, if you sense your child or simply uh, your children simply are procrastinating. It's probably best that they don't watch TV or plant themselves on social media right after dinner and then uh, they're, quote, too tired to do their homework later. <laughs> and if you sense procrastination, you will need to be patient as possible, but help your child see the greater purpose in getting it done on time. Question number three, should you check your child's homework, and what should you do if you discover the homework is incomplete or wrong? Well, first of all, age and grade of your child is very relevant, Speaking for me, if my son or daughter was a junior or a senior in high school, it's highly unlikely that I would know whether their math or science homework were right or wrong. But assuming your kid's still small and the homework is not too complex or difficult to understand, don't just focus on your children's mistakes. This can make them feel terrible about themselves. Ask questions about ways that can be improved Compliment on them on the questions or uh, sections that they got right and suggest sources they might want to check out for the parts they got wrong. More importantly, don't be too harsh, as in, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> That's not a good thing to say. Remember, homework is intended to help your student not just gain knowledge, but also enhance self-esteem and learn how to get things done not tear them down. And as a parent, you are as a, are a coach or senior advisor, not a critic. And a fourth question, does online homework encourage autonomy and is, is, in, is, and is it a vital ingredient in today's quest for knowledge? Well, the Internet is a tremendous asset. We can all agree in the search for knowledge. It's hard to even compare it to the old days when we thumb through the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> and I'm certain most schools today assign at least some homework that requires Internet research. Uh, and I would think that most kids, at least from the 6th or 7th grade on, 
and would most likely prefer Internet research to reading a textbook. But here's one catch. If your child has Snapchat or Twitter running at the same time, they may start getting alerts while doing their homework, and you may want to suggest that it's interfering with concentration and suggest they turn Snapchat or Twitter off. And if they're younger and it's interfering with their learning, you can require that they turn uh, the social media off, but explain why and write a clear rationale. Don't just say, because I said so. Five, so what's a good approach uh, to asking your child about daily homework? Well, Dr. Froehling suggests you ask your son and daughter, what is your plan for getting your homework done today? Then be patient and wait for their responses instead of rattling off a bunch of questions like, how long is it going to take and when are you going to do it and when are you going to start? Or a harsh statement like, you better get moving. If your kids need help managing their time, provide suggestions, but don't tell them exactly what to do. And here's something I didn't realize. Many school systems now provide apps that give parents immediate updates on all student grades. Kind of frightening, isn't it? So does your school provide the, this access? Well, I consider it both good and bad. The good, it's, uh, in the, it's invaluable to learn when our child's grades are slipping so that we have a conversation with him or her to determine what's going on in their life and what is causing the problem to pledge our love and to support and to suggest possible ways we as parents can help. Maybe a tutor or a particular, in a particular class or subject that our child doesn't understand. The bad, though, we as parents, if we come on too strong, are like big brother watching you. It's kind of scary to think that our parents immediately know how our grades are going. And I trust you're not a parent who demands perfection and becomes alarmed at any grade below 90%. The ultimate threat is that our kids tune us out, refuse to talk with us about school, and worse yet, begin to question their capability to learn and their self-worth as individuals. And in closing this discussion on homework, one final thought. At all times, please take into account your child's age and their level of education. Uh, once our children are in high school, especially their junior and senior years, you need to work with them and with their teachers as coach and senior advisor, sons and daughters who already have decided that they want to attend college especially if it's a highly selective institution, already are putting a lot of pressure on themselves to keep their grades up, and your primary task in this case is to provide a warm, supportive environment and a great place to study. And for those of you whose teenagers are far less certain about the future and uh, take their homework less seriously, uh, perhaps than you'd like, your job as parent is to lovingly discuss with them uh, how they would like their future to be as a young adult, how you would like it to unfold, and why successful completion of their high school education is important, and how you can help them complete their homework and prepare for tests. And the key with any teen, even a preteen, age 11 or 12, is to coach your son or daughter to success not to command their performance 
or to denigrate less-than-perfect grades or results. Never forget, regardless of their appearance, your teenage sons and daughters are not yet young adults. They may not want to admit it, but mom and dad still play a major positive, or for that matter, they can play a major negative influence on how the kids turn out as an adult. And taking responsibility for completing homework assignments is something they need to learn, but you can't force homework on them. And that's our program for today. Don't forget to check out my two books on midlife renewal, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines, by me, Roy C. Richards. And you'll find those books on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week when we talk all about your potential for job or career change at middle age. Is this something you may want to consider? And bye for now from Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.